0: And welcome to this week's recording of the local news brought to you by the Equipment Service for the Blind and the Worcester News. Our service is free, but if you would like to make a donation towards the running costs or if you have any comments about our service, please leave a note in your wallet or ring us here at Colin Chance house. There isn't always anyone in the office, but leave a message and someone will return your call as soon as they can. And please, uh, a kindly reminder to return your memory sticks promptly to facilitate the smooth operation and use of resources. So um, from now on, you'll only receive two weeks of recordings. And if neither of those are returned, then you won't get any further recordings unless you ring us if there's a problem. So ring us here if there's a problem or you're unwell. Um, I am Sally and Rhiann, Ian and Margaret are reading with me. And Michael is our sound engineer. Uh, Thanks very much to Carol's team for the admin and copying. We're featuring the news from Friday the 2nd of February until Thursday the 8th of February. We'll start off with um, thought for the week and useful numbers and what's on and then go on to our headline stories and then um, a variety of news items from the local area ending with some sporting items and the obituaries will follow the closing music for those who wish to hear them. So I'll pass you over to Ian for the thought for the week.
1: The thought for the week is from Acts chapter 13 verses 26 and 27. Fellow children of Abraham and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and their rulers did not recognise Jesus, yet in condemning him they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. We've received the following notice uh, to be read from Anne Briggs. Anne Briggs runs Worcester Macular Support Group and would like to welcome new members to its first meeting on Thursday the 15th of February 2024 at 2pm at the Friends Meeting House, 1 Sansom Walk, Worcester WR11UG and subsequent third Thursdays in the month. Anne says they are a small, friendly group and if you require any further information, please contact her on 01905 640
2: 234. Um, And these are the useful telephone numbers, starting with our telephone number here, the Worcester Talking News, which is 01905 76776 The police non-emergency number is 101. NHS Direct is 111. Crime Stoppers, 0800 Treble 111. Community Risk Team for Fire Safety, 0800 032 1115. Domestic Abuse Helpline, 0800 980 3331. Worcestershire County Council, here to help line is 01905 768 and you must request option 3. Worcester Hub 01905 765 765. Sense Adventure Walking for the Visually Impaired. You have to telephone D. Jones on 01684 Samaritans, which is a free phone number, 1161, double, uh, sorry, 116123. Worcester uh, Theatre's box office, 01905, sorry, 611427. Malvern Theatre Box Office, oh one six eight four, eight nine double two double seven.
3: And now for a sample of what's on locally over the next few weeks, Malvern Theatres are introducing um, some operas, and on. Sunday, the 18th of February, Madame Butterfly is going to be on. That's Puccini's Madame Butterfly and followed by Carmen, Bizet's Carmen, on Sunday, the 14th of April at 7pm. And you get 20% off when you book both shows and it's... um, featuring the Ukrainian Opera and Ballet Theatre Kyiv, with international soloists, highly praised chorus and full orchestra. And over at the Swan Theatre, invite in Worcester, they're inviting people to the Culture Café, which is something that's newly been introduced this year, on the first Thursday of the month, Um, from one o'clock till three o'clock and it's free to attend and it's every month a different local artist will showcase their incredible talent whether that's music poetry or comedy so everybody's invited to come down and enjoy a hot drink or two a slice of cake and soak up the fantastic atmosphere at the culture cafe at the swan theater and that's on the first thursday of every month A coffee concert is due to take place at St. Martin's Church in London Road, Worcester, on Saturday, February 24th at 10.30am. Elgar School of Music, Baroque Ensemble will be playing an uplifting selection of chamber music from the great composers of the 18th century, including Handel, Telman and Vivaldi. Entry is free, although donations can be made to the musicians' charities of choice the Grace Kelly Childhood Cancer Trust and the Elgar School of Music. Coffee concerts are held on the fourth Saturday of every month. Tea, coffee and homemade cakes and biscuits are available. And um, an exhibition revealing the history of the probation service is being held in Worcester throughout February. The display showcasing the service's development from a single five-shilling donation to the present day is a partnership between the Probation Service and the Anglesey Brook Museum and Chapel. Root and Branch, How Five Shillings, Faith and Belief, Inspired the Beginning of the Probation Service, is on show at Worcester Cathedral, exploring the founders' beliefs and their significant courtroom contributions. The exhibition will tour England and Wales throughout the summer. And lastly, visitors at the Commandry will get the chance to meet a plethora of historic characters when it hosts the return of Living History Weekend. The venue's biggest weekend of the year is back on Saturday the 17th and Sunday the 18th of February, promising a two-day event featuring living history encampments, military displays and characters from centuries past located throughout the building and gardens. Subtitled, from twang to bang, this year's event will include a new edition of historic firing demonstrations and cavalry displays by Worcester re- reenactors in the gardens. With medieval music and Tudor style dancing in the medieval Great Hall and demonstrations from metalworkers and willow weavers, the weekend promises an immersion in various historical periods organized in partnership with the Worcester Reenactors, the event is a great chance to visit one of Worcester's most notable historical historical buildings. Helen Manning, events and activities coordinator at the Commandery said, "It's fantastic that living history falls in the half-term holiday this year. We can't wait to see lots of families at the Commandery enjoying all the history on display."
0: Thank you, Ryan. And now we'll move to the headline stories starting with Friday, the 2nd of February, priced out. Fears that a major plan could gentrify part of Worcester. Fears have been raised that ambitious plans for a major multi-million pound transformation of Worcester's Shrub Hill quarter could price people out of their homes. Worries the regeneration plan for Shrub Hill industrial estate will lead to gentrification were raised by Councillor Jabba, Riaz at a meeting to discuss the regeneration, which will change the area beyond recognition. Residents will now have their say on the plans after Worcester City Council's Place and Economic Development Committee sent it for public consultation. Councillor Jabba Riaz said it was a really significant development for the city, but shared his concerns about residents being priced out of the area. It will change the face of the city for eternity in terms of what we have come to know Worcester is in the Shrop Hill area. There is a significant amount of investment going on which will change the shape of the local community and the local area. My fear is how that will affect the neighbourhood communities in the area. Will they be priced out of their own homes? The effect of gentrification within the area is very real. How many people from this city are going to be able to afford to live in these properties? It's a great welcome investment, but that threat is there. Kevin Moore, Head of Property and Assessment Management, said the questions of affordability will arise as the development comes forward. There is nothing in here, the document, to suggest that the Council would want to relax any of its affordable housing policies, he added. Worcester City Council has been working with Worcestershire County Council and Worcestershire LEP on the multi-million pound work. A former supplementary planning document, SPD, has set out proposals for the revamp of the 14-hectare site, including more than 500 new homes, new public spaces and the capacity for the creation of up to 5,000 new jobs. The area covered by the SPD is the West West, of the railway line and includes the existing Shrub Hill industrial estate, the historic Engine Works building and the railway station. It does not include the site of the neighbouring Sheriff's Gate development. Councillor Adrian Gregson described it as a very exciting project but pointed out an application for Lowesmore development included in the document had been withdrawn. We just need to be nimble with those things as they arise to ensure they fit within the guidance we are agreeing, Councillor Gregson said. The recommendation was passed during the meeting on Monday, January the 29th. The draft document will now go out to public consultation for six weeks and if no significant material considerations requiring substitute Substantial amendments are raised. The corporate director, planning and governance, will be able to refer the draft SPD to the council for adoption.
1: And now for the headline story for Saturday and Sunday, February the third to fourth. All night noise, hell, noisy, heavy machinery including jackhammers and rollers running into the early hours in a city retail park, has made life hell for residents who live nearby. The resurfacing work at Elgar Retail Park in Blackpool, Worcester, began disturbing residents on Monday, with many complaining of loss of sleep for four nights in a row. Matt Brown, 61, of Stalter's Close said, On Monday night, all hell broke loose. A massive team with equipment including strippers, rollers and diggers arrived. They proceeded to strip the tarmac off the section. They had two jackhammers going. This went on until 4am on Tuesday morning. The noise was horrendous. This went on for four days and they appear to have finished at 1am last night, Friday. Their beacon lights were running. Their engines were running. I have never known anything like it. There were 14 pieces of equipment on Tuesday night working at the same time. They started laying tarmac on Wednesday night. There was a continual chorus of reversing bleepers sounding all through the night. It's as if we don't matter at all, just collateral damage. It does matter. The retail park is directly opposite a housing estate. They just don't care at all. They just walk all over us. Edward Kimberley, a community campaigner, said, We are calling on the retail estate to be a good neighbour. There are residents right across the street who are trying to sleep and are getting the sound of reversing trucks, jackhammers and shouting blasted directly into their homes. They and I understand that this work needs to be done, but carrying it out in the middle of the night is unacceptable. Councillor Jill De Serra, who has met with residents, said, Long-suffering residents living close to the retail park can't be expected to swallow it this time. Compensation is due and will be sought. Unfortunately, no planning restrictions apply here. The retail park was perhaps originally built before behaviour like this was thought likely. Now we know differently. I will be asking for clarification on our options within the planning committee for site management conditions to be applied on any future planning applications. This will be for any retail sites close to residential streets. Four consecutive nights into the early hours is completely unacceptable. A spokesperson for Worcester City Council said... Investigations by Worcestershire Regulatory Services have confirmed that there should be no further significant noisy out-of-hours works on the site. There are some further works planned to take place on Friday, but this should cause limited noise disturbance. Officers have been clear with the business that any further significant noise issues may result in enforcement action. We have approached Elgar Elgar retail park owners, legal and general, for a comment.
2: Um, And this is the headline uh, for the Worcester News on Monday, February the 5th. Uh, The headline is a shock after a loyal shop worker dies. An entire community is united in grief with plans to hold a vigil and name a till after a much-loved supermarket staff member who died suddenly. Amanda Hopkins, known as Mandy, died unexpectedly on Tuesday, January 30th. The entire Dines Green estate has been left in mourning over Miss Hopkins' death, where she had lived all of her life and worked at the co-op for nearly 40 years. Miss Hopkins' sister, Josie Griffiths, said she was overwhelmed by the outpouring of messages while a shopping trolley um, full of condolences has pride of place inside the supermarket. She always had a smile on her face, she said. She worked at the co-op for nearly 40 years. Miss Hopkins' sister, Josie Griffiths, said she was overwhelmed by the outpouring of messages and uh, said that she always had a smile on her face. She worked at the co-op for 40 years and even closed the shop, and they even closed the shop in honour of her. Um, There has been a fantastic community spirit. I've been overwhelmed and how amazing it has been. She was very loved and the whole estate is mourning. We need more people like my sister because she was extremely loyal to work for the same company for so many years. Flowers have been left outside Miss Hopkins' Tudor Way home by other residents, and a plaque honouring Miss Hopkins will be placed outside the shop and the till named after her. Uh, the shop was closed following Miss Hopkins' death out of respect, and her brother, Alan Hopkins, said the grief over her death ...was something he had never seen. The funeral is going to to be massive, certainly the biggest in my life, he said. There's going to be balloons let off with messages and candles will be lit. People are going above and beyond for my sister. She was the life and soul of the estate and of the co-op. We've seen tributes that have been left out not only by people on the estate but also by people around Worcester. She was like a guardian angel to everyone. Susan Cowell, who is manager of the co where Miss Hopkins worked, said, I knew Mandy for many, many years as I worked at the shop for as long as she had been there. She was such a happy-go-lucky person. We used to listen to an 80s playlist in the morning at work and singing along. I'm still in shock and that she is no longer with us. Customers are really going to miss her. She wasn't just a colleague, she was a friend. And a vigil to celebrate Miss Hopkins' life has been planned for Tuesday, February the 6th, at the co-op in Dines Green.
3: Tuesday, February the 6th. This headline and article contains distressing information about neglect of animals, Um, so please skip... Now to the next article, if you prefer not to listen to this content. Horse was the thinnest vet had seen. A woman from Worcester is among those to admit horse neglect after an animal was left so thin its bones were showing, described by a vet as the thinnest he had ever seen. Jessica Page Pew, 21, of Arlington Place, Broomhall, Worcester, was one of three defendants to appear before magistrates in Hereford on Tuesday, January the 30th. The others were 43-year-old Kerry Ruth Pugh of Brook Cottage Bosbury-Ledbury and Oliver Deelan Ferry, 21, Tanhouse Lane, Malvern. The horse Pugh was responsible for ultimately had to be put down. Kerry Pugh and Jessica Pugh pleaded guilty to one offence relating to chestnut mare Autumn in that they failed to meet her needs. Oliver Ferry pleaded guilty to one Animal Welfare Act offence which concerned a grey mare named Totty in that he failed to meet her needs. All three have been disqualified from keeping equines for seven years. Barry was handed a £450 fine, victim surcharge of £180 and ordered to pay £200 costs. Kerry Pugh and Jessica Pugh were handed a £196 fine, a victim surcharge of £78 and they were ordered to pay £200 costs. Jessica and Kerry Pugh entrusted someone else to look after Autumn and feed her daily but admitted they should have taken responsibility themselves and checked. They called the vet when the first signs of choking showed. In a written statement provided to the court, RSPCA inspector Suzanne Smith attended a stables in Ledbury on March the 22nd last year, after the RSPCA received a call concerning underweight horses. <coughs> inspector Smith said she, Autumn, was wearing a rug... But despite the rug, I could see she was extremely angular, with the rug hanging on her like she was a coat hanger. There was no food or water in the stable. There was no bedding. There were some faeces. The owner of the stables gave her the owner details as Jess Pugh and Oliver Fairy. Fairy told Inspector Smith that the horse was Jess Pugh's horse and he had spoken to a vet the night before as the horse had had choke. She said the horse was extremely underweight, with all bones exposed, a clear thigh gap between her buttock cheeks. The rib cage was fully visible, with a shelf along the top where it met with the spinal processes. Inspector Smith said a vet who attended autumn clearly said that the horse was about the thinnest horse he'd seen and confirmed suffering. Jessica Pugh and her mother, Kerry Pugh, also attended the stables on March the twenty-second, and a transfer of ownership form for Autumn was signed by Kerry Pugh who said she was the owner and the passport was in her name. The owner was called, and it was requested that a vet attended to assess Totty, who later confirmed that the horse had been suffering. Autumn recovered her weight after receiving care. However, it became clear. That despite trying to resolve her lameness issues, which was found to stem from her shoulder, her welfare was affected. And on veterinary grounds, the decision had to be made to put her to sleep.
0: And now, um, my apologies, I've mislaid the headline for Wednesday. I'm very sorry about that. Um, But I've got, so we'll go forward to the Thursday headline, which is Arrest in Drug Raid two held after 500 cannabis plants found in farm building. Two men have been arrested during a police raid on a 500-plant cannabis farm near Droitwich. Police carried out a warrant in a large metal farm building in the Saltway, Hanbury, near Droitwich, early yesterday morning. It is estimated the farm could have produced £410,000 worth of drug in terms of street value. Two men aged 22 and 24 were arrested at the scene on suspicion of the production of a Class B drug, cannabis, and were taken into custody. Inquiries are ongoing. Nearly 500 plants were discovered at the site, together with large-scale electrical lighting and cultivation systems linked to the production of cannabis by officers from South Worcestershire Neighbourhood Crime Fighting Team, NCFT, supported by the force's task force and Droitwich Safer Neighbourhood team. There were also further evidence at the scene of a grow that had already been cropped. The raid comes after intelligence was developed around the location following concerns about drugs and suspicious activity in the area. Police Sergeant Sean Blackshaw of the NCFT said, this successful warrant today shows we will not tolerate crime activity within our community and will continue to act on information given to us about drugs. Cannabis farms like to, the, like to this are often linked to serious and organised crime gangs. The drugs they sell have a negative impact on our communities and can lead to other localised criminality. The cultivation of these crops can also lead to the harm and exploitation of vulnerable people. The local community can help by continuing to report any signs of criminal activity on West Mercia's website. The public can report online under the Tell Us About selection of the West Mercia Police. If you have information about drugs and drug supply and don't want to speak to police, you can report information anonymously via Crimestoppers on 0800 555 the warrant forms part of an d- operation target which sees West Mercia Police work closely with other forces and partners to tackle serious and organised crime and the harm it causes. I was going to do that because that's a sort of. Here we are. Help yourself. This is a long article, historical article. Help for the sport. And we'll be. Hooray, we've nearly finished. (laughs) So Ian, do you want to start with the general news? So Ian's going to start with the general news.
1: Lovely, thank you. Uh, We're now going to read the general news items for the week uh, from the Worcester News. A Worcester student features in a new campaign launched by the Department for Education. The... It All Starts With Skills campaign is designed to inspire young people, adults and businesses to make the most of their potential by engaging in a range of technical qualifications, training and skills. Harrison Ricketts has embarked on his own training journey and believes it is vital that more people can make informed choices so they can gain the skills and qualifications they need to progress in life and work. The 18-year-old is a cybersecurity student studying for his Higher National Diploma in Computing, an approved Higher Technical Qualification, HTQ, and appears at a background cast in the advert. Harrison said, The campaign is inspired by people like me, each individual on a personal journey to gain new skills and building a career for the future by harnessing their potential. It really brings to light how skills can change your life and highlights that there is something for everyone, including qualifications and courses you might never have heard of. I've always had a passion for computing, but it was only when I spoke to a career advisor that I realized there were alternative ways that I could upskill in cybersecurity specifically, an area I wanted to explore and build a career in. My course allows me to get on the job experience while continuously learning every day. As a keen youth ambassador and someone that wants to help people like me find the career that works for them, I'm a big advocate of the Skills for Life campaign. The website can help you realise how many paths there are available and explains all of the various courses and resources on offer. It also signposts to advertise positions to help you take that next step in your skills journey. To launch the campaign, a new emotive film will air on national TV video on demand, VOD, and in cinemas across England as well as across radio and outdoor billboards. Real learners feature as part of the broader campaign, each having embarked on their own varied training routes in recent years. There are more technical, educational and training routes on offer than ever, including apprenticeships, T-levels, skills boot camps, higher technical qualifications, HDQs, free courses for jobs, multiply and essential skills, English, maths and digital. Minister for Skills, Apprenticeships and Higher Education, Robert Halfon, said, Throughout my political career, I have championed apprenticeships and skills, driven by an unwavering passion to ensure we are providing a ladder of opportunity to everyone across the country. Since 2010, we have revolutionised skills training, and there are now opportunities, which are more fantastic than ever, available. It is my belief that empowering individuals with the right skills not only transforms lives, but also strengthens our economy, fostering a more inclusive and prosperous future for all. From apprenticeships and T-levels to skills boot camp and higher technical qualifications, we're opening doors for young people and adults to achieve their fullest potential. Now is the time to spread the word far and wide about our skills programmes, letting every corner of the country know about the training available. Our new Skills for Life campaign features real learners who have gone on their own transformative journey, like Harrison from Worcester, and who want to inspire others to have the confidence to follow in their footsteps. The campaign's new one-stop-shop website will support even more people make informed choices and get all the information they need to take these important next steps needed for success. (laughs)
2: Thank you. Um, The inside of a former department store, which was once the site for ambitious plans for a glitzy new food hall, now appears empty and stripped back to the basics. The Artisan Food Hall was originally set to open in spring of 2022 (coughs) at 6771 The High Street, but plans never got off the ground and a year on, the site remains closed. We reported recently enforcement notices appeared on the windows of what was once the, the Debenhams Department store chain, which has now been liquidated. The notices, which were still on the doors on Monday, February the 5th, said that pursuant to clause 32 of your lease dated February twenty-three, twenty-one, twenty twenty-one. 2021, we as authorised agents of the landlord have this day re-entered the premises demised by the said lease and the said lease is there thereby determined absolutely. The second notice reads, you are hereby given notice to remove all your assets by January 24th 2024 unless by seven days you can contact the landlord acting as as, um, bailie for the goods. We will sell them without further notice and account to the lawful owner for the balance after the deduction of expenses. It is unclear if bailiffs have now moved in. We contacted county enforcement and had no response when we asked. But a planned zinc bar inside the venue looks very different from a June 2022 picture that was shown on the Artisan food hall Worcester Instagram account. That picture teased the bar teased the bar showing the work that had been completed and on Monday the bar area looks completely different to the one in that picture. surfaces look dirty, Lights appear to have been taken out, and the room generally looks untidy. Meanwhile, outside, the boards saying Artisan Food Hall, coming soon, still remain up and are now covered in cobwebs. The Instagram account has also been taken off the social network. People in the high street nearby said it was a shame that the hall had not come into fruition and the site is just left vacant. The site is now often used by shoppers, who take cover when it is raining, due to the large roof hanging over, out over the high street. The company behind the plan was previously known as Artisan Food Hall Worcester Limited, uh, changing its name to Block 71 Limited in January. Companies House listed Block 71 Limited as having accounts overdue and that is confirmation... That. Its confirmation statement is also overdue. Attempts to contact Block 71 Limited have been unsuccessful, as there appears to be no phone or email listing for the firm. Plans for the food hall were first confirmed back in April 2021, which was originally tipped to be a nine-month transformation project of the former Debenham store. The first floor was earmarked for Canteen Society, while the second floor was going to feature a city garden
3: and event space. A hospice in Worcester is in its final phase of an inpatient unit upgrade. St. Richard Hospice's renovation, which includes 17 newly refurbished patient bedrooms with contemporary technology and equipment, aims to transform care for those facing complex illnesses. The project is set to complete in the spring. The uptick in patient rooms isn't the only enhancement the hospice is bringing on board. The refurbishment also covers the creation of two jacuzzi spa suites and improved ensuite showering amenities. Additionally, two new family rooms are envisioned to offer more personalised spaces for patients and their families, offering an ambiance of normality away from the patient's bedside. The journey towards this paramount revitalisation began in April last year when St. Richard's, through a group of 150 hospice champions, raised a whopping £540,308 within 36 hours, just over half of the £1 million target. With each donation from this drive amplified by hospice funders on a pound-for-pound basis, Resolute supporters and residents of Worcestershire have been central to the facility's fundraising journey, which has extended well into 2024. Giving a push to the hospice's goals, the Wolfson Foundation generously awarded St. Richard's a grant of £125,000 this week. The facility is now eyeing its final stretch, seeking to raise another £127,000 to hit its goal. Tricia Cavell, Fundraising Director for the Hospice, said St Richard's has always been a warm, welcoming place where patients spend precious moments with their families. With the help of our amazing supporters, we're now creating the next generation of hospice care for Worcestershire. Paul Ramsbottom, chief executive of the Wolfson Foundation, echoed the sentiment, saying it is so important for hospices such as St. Richard's to create a warm and welcoming environment. We are therefore delighted to contribute to this crucial overhaul of the inpatient accommodation, which will benefit both patients and families. The hospice supports over 3,100 patients, family and bereaved people across the county. The annual running cost of the facility is £10.28 million, which includes patient care and all the necessary support services. St Richard's relies on donations for most of its income, with what remains funded by the NHS. People can find
0: out more about the shift to digital landline during a BT roadshow set to stop off in Worcester later this month. Residents will have the opportunity to learn more about how the landlines will be changing over the coming years and gain hands-on experience with BT's new digital landline service, Digital Voice. The event will take place on Thursday, February twenty-second, between 10am and 2pm at The Hive, giving customers the chance to talk to advisors and have their queries answered. It forms part of the broader campaign undertaken by BT to educate the public on the nationwide transition from analogue to digital landlines. The shift is an industry-wide necessity and has been influenced by similar changes in numerous countries including Australia, New Zealand and Sweden. The upgrade is intended to replace quickly ageing technology and to set the UK's landlines on the path to future sustainability. Vicki Hicks, Senior Engagement Manager at BT, said, We will be visiting the West Midlands to talk to as many customers as possible about the switch to digital landlines and answer any questions they may have. The landline is here to stay, and for the majority of customers, making the switch simply involves plugging your phone into a broadband router instead of into a wall-mounted phone socket, bringing new benefits such as advanced spam se- call blocking. If you feel you need additional support with transition, or you think you are vulnerable, please tell us. Advantages of the new technology include advanced spam call blocking. Digital voice also won't affect how customers currently use their phones, nor will it impact their existing service and price plan. The Worcester event is one of more than 30 that BT will be holding on their roadshow across the region throughout February. Those looking to attend can find further details about the event on www.bt.com/digital-voice.
1: Better visibility of officers and city centre units to deal with shoplifting and antisocial behaviour could be paid for by an increase in council tax. Police and Crime Commissioner John Campion intends to further develop services in West Mercia Police following previous efforts to create a safer environment. In the approved proposals, a 4.91% increase in the council tax element for policing was agreed upon, equating to around £277.50 for an average band D property, which equates to a raise of 25 pence per week. With the country still grappling with economic problems, the PCC said he has to make significant decisions to redirect resources to where the public need them most. Key points of focus include better visibility and accessibility in policing through the introduction of town centre units to deal with shoplifting, antisocial behaviour and thefts. The PCC said that an emphasis on improved investigations and outcomes will see technology upgrades designed to assist officers in probing criminal activity on mobile devices and computers. PCC Campion also stresses the importance of enhancing public contact, particularly through shorter call wait times for both emergency and non-emergency lines. Technological advances to allow members of the public to upload digital evidence is also on the agenda. PCC John Campion said, This budget has the communities of West Mercia at the heart of it. My latest investment will build on the progression I have already made in West Mercia Police, and will focus on the areas that matter to the public, such as how they make contact with their police service. He added, this budget has come with some tough decisions, and as a result, some changes will have to be made within West Mercia Police. Temporary Chief Constable Alex Murray said, building on the investments made over the last year, This budget will support our commitment to visible and accessible policing for the people of Herefordshire, Shropshire, Telford and Reakin and Worcestershire.
2: Two West Mercia police dog handlers and their dogs have become the first in the Midlands to be specifically trained to search for people who may have drowned. The leading police officer for victim recovery dogs, PC Steve Morell, praised his achievement, praised this achievement. Uh, P.C. Morrell said this is one of the hardest skill sets within the police dog portfolio, so it's a real credit to the handlers, the training, uh, the training that's gone in with the dogs and the continued training going forward. P.C. James Benjamin and police dog Lupo, along with P.C. Nick Davis and police dog Jabba, are now able to search for bodies beneath the water surface. These trained dogs indicate the presence of a decomposing body within various depths of both still and flowing waters. PC Nick Davis was grateful for the capabilities these dogs bring to the force. PC Nick Davis said, We are very fortunate, as a dog team, to have the ability to search the rivers and quarries of the three counties we serve. For many years, our police dogs have carried out extensive searches along the banks of the river on the side of a quarry. Um, But now we can continue our search by putting these dogs into a boat and using their skills to help locate people who are in the water. These dogs can now sit on a boat with an officer and utilise their scent-tracking abilities to locate someone underwater. After the dog identifies the correct scent, it communicates to the officer, who then signals a diver to the specific location. PC Benjamin stressed the emotional toll of such situations and how these dogs can help. PC Benjamin said, with somebody, when somebody goes missing it is one of the most upsetting and stressful moments in a family's life and it is our job to help find these people and give these families the answers they're looking for. The additional skills our dogs now have will complement our search capability
3: and provide vital support to our search teams. Worcester wants its new theatre not a white elephant warned an MP hopeful over the Scala Theatre's watered-down plans. Conservative candidate for Worcester, Mark Bayliss, said the revised plans for the building in Angel Place are a mere shadow of the original proposals to create a new 500-seater venue for the city. Instead, the Scala Theatre will be turned into a 300-seat venue after Worcester City Council saw the gap in its budget rocket to £3.5 million since the start of 2023. Councillor Lynn Denham, joint leader of Worcester City Council, said it will be decided without the intrusion of party politics and said she was pleased with the revised plans. Mr Bayliss feels the new plans have fallen short of original expectations and was concerned there was no business plan for the revised facilities that he classed as a downgrade. These new proposals are a much watered-down version of the promise offered by a new theatre, he said. As leader of the council at the time the bid was made, we aimed to build a new theatre for Worcester that would enable the city to bring bigger shows and performances to the city. Instead, these revised plans show just how little ambition the new Labour and Green Council has for Worcester. Three small performance spaces that replicate what we already have in the city is not what we need. What makes it even worse is that they don't even have a business plan for this new facility and I fear it will either fail or require a huge cash subsidy from the council in the future – Worcester was promised a new theatre and instead they are getting another small cinema and some small performance spaces. I feel the City Council need to go back to the drawing board and up their ambitions. Mr Bayliss intends to write to government ministers to highlight his concerns that the original plans are now not going to be delivered due to these new proposals. Councillor Lynn Denham, joint leader of Worcester City Council, said... The Scala building was never a theatre. Worcester people have many happy memories of the films that they saw in this cinema. I'm pleased that the new planning application works with the existing structures and spaces in this lovely building. The application will be decided by members of the planning committee without the intrusion of party politics. A planning application has been developed in partnership with a creative consortium who are working on bringing new cultural experiences to this part of the city. It is regrettable that the money from the central government Future High Street Fund is for capital expenditure only and has been badly impacted by the rise in the cost of living and building materials.
0: A large emergency services presence was in a small Worcestershire village after a woman was found stuck in mud. A woman in her 30s was stuck knee-deep in mud in Lower Ham near Kemsey after she slipped off a path by the River Severn. She was trapped in water and mud and it took a firefighter 45 minutes to rescue her. A spokesperson for West Midlands Ambulance said, We were called to reports of a woman who'd slipped off a path by a river into water and mud up to her thighs. Firefighters managed to rescue her after about 45 minutes and she was then assessed by ambulance staff. She had suffered no injuries and was taken home by the ambulance crew as a precaution. West Mercia Police, two Hereford and Worcester fire and rescue crews and a boat rescue team were also on the scene. A Hereford and Worcester fire and rescue service spokesman said, Two Hereford and Worcester fire and rescue service crews, one each from Worcester and Pershaw fire stations, plus boat crews from Worcester and Evesham were called at 11.07 in a, to a rescue in Lower Ham, Kemsie. A female casualty in her thirties who was stuck in mud up to her knees was handed over to the care of the ambulance service. Police were also in attendance.
1: The following article relates to various stories of historical interest in relation to Worcester, all with links to the month of February. On February the 6th, 1904, it was clang, clang, clang went the trolley as the first electric trams ran in Worcester. Over the previous nine months, starting in June 1903, the city centre streets had been turned to rubble as the three-foot gauge horse tracks were relayed with three-foot-six-inch wide systems with pylons for electric trams. The operation became dubbed the Worcester Tramway Siege. In all, a new five-and-a-half-mile network of tram lines was laid through the city centre and out along the main approach routes such as Bath Road, New Road, London Road, Rainbow Hill and Barbourne. The horse tramway depot at St John's also needed to be extensively altered to accommodate a fleet of electric tramcars. At the official launch of the new system, operated by the Worcester Electric Tramway Company, the Mayor and Corporation took a ride from Worcester Bridge to Barbourne on the first tramcar. There were eventually 17 electric double deck tramcars operating in the city in their Brunswick green and light buff livery. Sadly, the life of the electric tramways in Worcester was comparatively short only 24 years. In the mid-1920s, they had become an obstruction and nuisance to the fast-expanding new mode of transport, the motor car. At the end of May 1928, the trams ceased operating and made way for Midland Red's fleet of motor omnibuses. The electric tram car saga gets a mention in Worcester's history and heritage calendar. And here are a few more local landmarks from February's through the centuries. In February 1908, the Scout movement began across the UK, driven by an inspired idea from its founder, Sir Robert Baden-Powell. Soon troops began springing up all over the country, one of the first being in Malvern, which is still going today as first Malvern link. Down the A449, Clane's Boy Scouts was founded in 1913 as the Worcester Y Troop, with the founding objective listed as providing for the instruction of boys of all classes in the principles of discipline, loyalty and good citizenship. The group was eventually tied to Clane's Church, St John the Baptist, and met at a wooden scout hut on Vicarage Lane, later to become Corn Meadow Lane. During both World Wars, the Boy Scouts were expected to perform a civic duty to help civilians in a time of need. And one of the photos shows Worcester Boy Scouts and Klain's wolf cubs collecting waste litter. It has taken just ten years before a huge modernisation scheme across scouting resulted in new uniforms with berets, Instead of lemon squeezer hats and new names of just scouts and cubs. In 1967, Clane Scouts also split from Clane's Church to be renamed Fourth Worcester Scout Group. That name was short lived as in 1969, Clane Scouts joined with St George's Scouts nearby, founded in 1911 to create the new bigger 8th Worcester Scout Group with 61 cast Scouts, 98 Cub Scouts, 7 Venture Scouts and 18 leaders. The final chapter was born when a major project secured funding to build the current brick headquarter buildings, which opened in 1974 as probably the largest in the country. By then, Clane scouts had joined with Clane's guides to form the Clane's joint scout and guide group. Other February happenings have included February the 5th, 1414, Henry V issued a charter to Worcester, which is held by Worcestershire Archives, still with its seal attached, showing the armoured king on horseback. Henry was preparing for France to claim back the French crown and at the battle of Agincourt in 1415 the bowmen of Worcestershire fought under their flag of the pear tree laden with fruit February the 10th 1241 King Henry III met the Jewish parliament in the chapter house of Worcester cathedral to allow the crown to assess their worth for taxation Jews had arrived since 1154. Henry confirmed the right of Jews to live in Worcester. But in 1219, Bishop of Worcester, William de Blois, imposed strict rules. In 1275, they were expelled from Worcester, and all Jews were expelled from England in 1290. In 1941, the community was re-established in Worcester. February tenth, sixteen eighty five. The passing of the city charter in sixteen eighty five was aimed at benefiting the king and cost the city the huge sum then of two hundred and seventeen pounds nine shillings and twopence, modern money equivalent two hundred and seventeen thousand pounds, and established the city with a mayor which was to allow the king to veto members of the council. Local Tories favoured the King while Whigs in Parliament and Worcester did not want the restoration of Catholicism. In 1688 Worcester-born John Summers joined others to invite William and Mary to replace James II.
2: Uh, Diggers have been working at an empty caravan site after holidaymakers received their marching orders with concerns about trees being cut down. Diggers and dumper trucks have been in operation at the former Ketch Caravan Park off Bath Road in Worcester after the site had been deserted following the departure of mobile homeowners. It appears that the teams have been working towards creating an elevated plateau on the caravan park, but this has not been confirmed. No recent planning applied, applications have been submitted according to the Worcester City Council planning. A spokesman for Worcester City Council said the City City Council is aware of the work taking place at the Ketch Caravan Park and on the basis of our investigations to date, we are satisfied that it is being carried out within without carried out in accordance with permitted development rights for caravan sites. These allow a certain amount of development to be carried out without planning permission, where there is a requirement for the conditions of a site licence. The Council will continue to monitor the site and is actively investigating the recent removal of some trees. There were about 60 caravans on that site by the River Severn, including statics, and touring caravans until the owners were asked to leave. Last October, we reported how a woman who wished to be known only as Sue was one of the few still on the site. She was donating her static caravan to the RSPCA, describing the decision to close the caravan park as devastating. As previously reported, caravan owners received a letter... (coughs) In April, from Tremlow Limited, which read, "You will need to leave the park by that date, and to make arrangements to remove the holiday home and any other personal possessions from the park by no later than November the 30th, 2023, being one month from the date of the termination. The agreement will, of course, remain in force until October the 31st, 2023." and you will be entitled to continue to occupy the holiday home until that date. The site managers have so far declined to comment.
3: A shocking photo shows the scale of driftwood and other debris piling up against an old bridge weeks before it suffered a partial collapse. Cyclist Jeremy Davis took a stark photo of branches and other driftwood piled up to the parapet of Powick Old Bridge, weeks before part of the historic structure tumbled into the River Team at the end of last month the 68-year-old of Purdiswell, Worcester took the photo of mountains of driftwood in the Team reaching almost to the height of the medieval bridge's parapet on December the 7th last year Mr Davis said as a cyclist who regularly crosses the bridge, I have been aware of frequent build ups of large amounts of debris which often remain for weeks before being removed. This bridge is very important in our history and the site of the skirmish at Powick Bridge in 1642, which signalled the beginning of the English Civil War. I hope it gets repaired and better protected with some urgency. Also, it is a key link on the Worcester-Pedway cycle route, giving access to the Powick cycle bridge, which was built at great expense. His observations come after Bedwardine councillor Sue Smith blamed the build-up of debris for the partial collapse. The Grade 1 listed bridge, which dates back to medieval times, is thought to have suffered due to part of the foundation being washed away during recent storms. The bridge is now closed to pedestrians and cyclists as an assessment is carried out by highways. Councillor Mike Rouse, Cabinet Member for Highways and Transport, said he was saddened to hear of the collapse of the bridge. We carry out inspections on all Worcestershire County Council-owned structures, including Powick Old Bridge, in accordance with the Government Code of Practice for well-managed highway infrastructure. This involves general inspections every two years and a principal inspection every six years. Powick had its last principal inspection, a full assessment with an engineer gaining access to every part of the bridge, in May 2022 and was last inspected for erosion of the abutments and pier foundations in May 2023. He said the bridge is inspected for erosion levels every year and also a separate inspection for any changes in erosion levels after every flood where possible. Further erosion level inspections haven't been able to be carried out following the recent storms as water and debris levels have remained consistently high. Debris removal has to be coordinated with the the water levels receding, as access is required to the bankside to remove it. Debris removal has been undertaken on powick Bridge in December 2022, May 2023 and most recently in January 2024.
0: Worcester Chinese Association, and educational charity engaged with China, are delighted to team up again with the Museum of Royal Worcester and Royal Porcelain Works to celebrate the Year of the Dragon in style on Sunday, February the 18th from 11am to 4pm. Worcester's well-loved Chinese New Year celebrations are taking place for the second year at the Museum of Royal Worcester and Henry Sandon Hall. Lots of free family activities are on offer for all ages, including tea tasting and a traditional Chinese tea ceremony. The traditional dragon dance will be at 12.30 on 7th Street. The road will be closed during the performance and there will be martial arts demonstrations by Worcester-based QD Tang Kung Fu School. A special treat for this year is a Chinese music performance by a soprano, Wang Chen, and Gu Yu on flute, who are on their UK tour. Pom Pom, the giant panda, will even be on hand to greet visitors. Across the day, visitors can explore family-friendly arts and crafts inspired by Chinese New Year traditions, including calligraphy, paper cutting and origami. The museum's Paint Your Own Pottery Studio will also be open for adults and children to paint a range of Year of the Dragon ceramic shapes from £12 per person to be booked in advance. Frankie Zhang, chair of Worcestershire Chinese Association, said, We're looking forward to welcoming Worcestershire's communities on Sunday, February the 18th to help celebrate Chinese New Year. I am proud to say we've organised Chinese New Year celebrations for 24 years in the city. I established the association in 1999 to bring Chinese culture alive and to bridge understanding between the Chinese and local communities. Sophie Heath, museum director, said, Our museum team has enjoyed learning how to prepare a Chinese tea ceremony. We will have lots of arts and crafts activities inspired by by China and its New Year festival for families to join in with. Inspiration from China holds a special place in the heart of the museum and it is a delight to connect visitors with the story of tea drinking in the UK organisation from China and share the stories of the pieces that owe their shape and decoration to Chinese art and design. H.J. Coulston Ing, director of educational charity Engage With China said, We are a proud partner of the annual Chinese New Year event in Worcestershire and are delighted to grow the event and wider participation. Building China literacy in UK schools is at the heart of what we do. This free cultural event means children and families can get up close and personal with China and its culture and our links with China over hundreds of years. Audiences are always delighted and intrigued with what they learn and the activities that are on offer. Cathy Leather, General Manager at the Royal Porcelain Works, said, The celebrations are one of the highlights in the Royal Worcester Porcelain's calendar. It is a fantastic collaboration with students from the University of Worcester and Christopher Whitehead Language College who are learning Mandarin, all getting involved and inspiring creativity and connecting our local communities.
1: Love will be in the air when a nine-day celebration of Worcester's heritage returns with a programme of half-term events. Love Worcester calls upon residents to step out of their homes and into the rich history of the city, with activities taking place from Friday, February 9th to Sunday, February 18th. Churches, museums, libraries and other public venues across the city are delving into the archives to put forward a family-friendly and widely accessible set of events. A special highlight on Saturday, February 10th, will be at St Swithin's Church's Rave in the nave, promising two hours of family-friendly music, arts and crafts, and face painting. On the same day, an excursion into the world of magical maps will take place in the Hive Children's Library. Last night, Worcester is also back on the calendar, set for Wednesday the 14th and Thursday, February the 15th. Seven Arts is setting the stage for the city centre to be lit up with light displays, creative installations, and artistic commissions. The event is free and runs from 6 to 9 pm on both nights. Living History Weekend is next up, taking place on Saturday the 17th and Sunday, February the 18th. The city centre will host 200 re-enactors portraying 2,000 years of history across six venues. The event will highlight eras such as the Roman, Viking, medieval, English civil wars and Napoleonic periods and beyond. A variety of, of events will be held across both days, like the First World War and Second World War military vehicle showcase in Cathedral Square amongst others. Activities solely on Saturday are also aplenty, including World War I and Second World War displays in Guildhall and history groups at St Helens Church. History enthusiasts will also be delighted to know that Sheena Payne Lunn, Worcester's Historic and Environment Record Officer, is holding a book signing session for her books, Worcester Life Stories and the Big Quiz Edition, at the Tourist Information Centre in the Guildhall from 12 p.m. till 2 p.m. on February the 17th. Councillor Hannah Cooper, Vice-Chair of Worcester City Council's Place and Economic Development said, there's always plenty to do in our wonderful city and the Love Worcester events are the perfect chance to experience all that Worcester has to offer. Additionally, The Museum of Royal Worcester will mark Chinese New Year on Sunday, February the 18th, teaming up with Worcestershire Chinese Association for a dragon dance at 12.30pm.
2: This is an article from the sports page of the Evening News. Um, Former Finn Smith earns his first England cap. Former Worcester Warriors fly-half... Finn Smith made his England debut on Saturday in a narrow 27-24 win over Italy in the opening round of the Six Nations. The now Northampton Saints number 10 came off the bench within 15 minutes to earn his first cap, which is just reward for the 21-year-old girls, brilliant season with his new club. England survived a real scare in Rome and had been 17-8 down at one stage in the first half before scoring 19 unanswered points to lead by 10 points going into the final stages. Italy's Monti Luan did score a late try to salvage a deserved losing bonus point for the Italians in what was an improved showing from the... Uh, Gonzalo Quesada's side but it was England who took the victory and with a number of debutantes, debutantes playing their first game for, that for their country. It was a successful afternoon in the Eternal City.
3: Now for some netball news Gabby Marshall says her unassuming seven stars squad can fly under the radar this season and spring a netball Super League shock. The Worcester-based side propped up the table two seasons ago before improving to secure a solid sixth-place finish last year. High-profile internationals saturate the likes of Manchester Thunder, Loughborough Lightning and London Pulse at the upper end of the standings, while Joe Tripp's West Midlands outfit are blessed with fewer household names. But Captain Marshall, 27, insists that the spirit in the group is strong, and they have what it takes to go toe to toe with the hottest talents the domestic game has to offer. The centre, speaking ahead of her side's NSL season opener against Leeds Rhinos in Nottingham on February the 17th, said, "We have got a fantastic squad. We're probably a little bit." ...unassuming compared to some of the other superstars in the league... ...but I think we have got a team full of superstars... ...and I'm delighted to be part of it. It's always nice to go into something as the underdog... ...as there's less expectation and pressure... ...but we've really set out expectation for this season. We don't want to fall short of that... ...and we'll do everything in our power... ...to go toe-to-toe with those top teams. Internally, we set the bar really high train really hard and have great foundations in place to achieve what we want to achieve and get into that top four. Our squad is a really nice blend of experience and youth. We've got the talent, skill and coaching staff. We've spoken about that pressure that comes from within. We'll focus on ourselves, let the outsiders do their own talking and we're in a wonderful position. Stars claimed seven wins last season to finish two places off the playoffs and significantly improve on their forgettable 2022 campaign. And to build on those foundations, head coach Tripp has wasted no time in bringing in multiple new additions this winter. The season opener marks the start of the 2024 Netball Super League season and takes place on the 17th of February. For tickets go to the England Netball website. Now, Worcester City
0: women battled to a hard-fought
3: 4-0 win at league, st- at league strugglers
0: Knoll on Saturday as they extended their lead at the top of the league on Sunday afternoon. City's victory, coupled with second-place Lie Town's shock defeat to bottom of the table, Crusaders, means the Blue and Whites have a healthy seven-point advantage at the summit. After surviving an early period of pressure from Knoll, City settled into the contest and could have scored a couple of goals before they eventually took the lead ten minutes before the break. Striker Olivia Mitchum was causing plenty of problems and came close to scoring on a number of occasions before Captain Jess Fassinge unleashed an unstoppable strike into the top corner to give City the lead. Mitchum finally found the back of the net from the penalty spot and the half entered stoppage time and City led 2-0 at the break. The league's top scorer Mitchum made the result safe 10 minutes into the second half, applying the finishing touches to Fastenage's cross-across goal. The visitors maintained possession and came close again in 69 minutes when Holly Congrave's inviting cross was headed against the crossbar by Leah Ritson. A fingertip save was forced from Knowles' goalkeeper as a free kick taken and won by Emma Congrave looked likely to dip into the net before Mitcham grabbed her hat-trick in the 81st minute when substitute Annie Syme had the vision to put it on a plate for City's number nine.
1: And finally, another football story about Worcester City men's team's recent success. Worcester City moved back to the top of the Hellenic League Premier following a thumping 6-0 win over Struggler's Lydney Town at Clanes Lane on Saturday. City's victory, coupled with Corsham Town drawing 0-0 at Fairford Town, saw them jump above the Quarrymen and into first place on goal difference, still with four games in hand as they edge closer to the title. It was always going to be a tough afternoon for a young Lydney side who had lost 20 of their 27 matches coming into the fixture with second-place City and so it proved as Chris Corn's men romped to a comprehensive win. It started with a ninth-minute own goal as Liam Lockett and Elliot Harley combined to eventually see the ball back, find the back of the net via a couple of failed clearance attempts on the line. Kyle Bellamonte quickly made it two a couple of minutes later, sweeping home following another locket attack down the left-hand side. Lydney did manage to slow City down for the majority of the first half, but chances kept coming for the home side, and only a couple of brilliant stops from Lydney's keeper, Rich Thomas, kept the visitors in it before two goals in three minutes at the end of the half ultimately settled the contest. The impressive Hartley continued his fine goal foring form when flicking home a low Logan Stoggart cross at the front post and Lockett, having had numerous chances to score, finally got on the score sheet with a fourth. With the points safe, City continued to search for more goals and only the brilliant Thomas kept the hosts from reaching double figures. He made a terrific double save to deny Hartley and then Jamie Insull somehow fired wide from a couple of yards. But City did find a fifth just before the hour as Belmonte nodded past Thomas from Hartley, from a Hartley cross and five became six when Insull bundled home to deservedly add another to his season tally. While City were firing six past Lydney, Caution were held to a goalless draw by Fairford, meaning Worcester went back to the top of the table on a thoroughly successful afternoon.
0: And that is the end of our contribution for this week. So thank you all for listening, and the obituaries will follow the music. So it's just uh, time to say goodbye.
1: Goodbye. Goodbye.
0: Goodbye. Bye. And now for the obituaries. Raymond Alan Franklin, formerly of Rushwick, passed away peacefully on Tuesday, the twenty-sixth of December. The funeral has taken place, but donations in Ray's memory, if desired, to the British Heart Foundation, care of Adkinson and Son Funeral Directors, Leicester, L E two five D G. Giovanni Nicolai, known as Nino, formerly of Victoria Avenue and Metal Box, passed away peacefully in Rome on Monday, January the 22nd, aged 97. The funeral took place on Wednesday, in Ro- Wednesday, January the 24th, in Rome, followed by a cremation. Margaret McCransey passed away peacefully on the 9th of January, a funeral service is at St John's Baptist Church Clains on Wednesday the 14th of February at 12 noon, followed by internment at Aswood Cemetery. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for cancer research may be left on the collection plate or sent to E.J. Gummery and Sons Worcester. Michael William Martin, known as Mick, passed away peacefully on January the 9th his funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium Chapel on Monday the, 9th, t- Monday the 12th of February at 12.15, followed by internment at Aswood Cemetery. Family flowers only please, but donations if desired for St Richard's Hospice may be left on the collection plate or sent to E.J. Gummery and Son. Margaret Ellen Andrews passed away peacefully on the 11th of January, Her funeral service is at Worcester Crematorium on Tuesday the 13th of February at 1pm. No flowers but donations if desired for Dementia UK may be left in the donations box or sent to AV Band in Droitwich. Shirley Ann Jones, née Duke, passed away peacefully on the 17th of January. Her funeral service at Worcester Crematorium um, was on Thursday the 8th of February. Family flowers only, but donations, if desired, for Birmingham Children's Hospital for the benefit of the oncology unit um, can be sent to E.J. Gummery and Sons in Worcester. And Ronald Victor Jenkins, known as Ron, formerly from Littleworth, passed away peacefully on the 18th of January. His funeral is at the Vale Crematorium on the 12th of February at 10 o'clock and feel free to wear bright colours. Family flowers only or donations if desired for dementia can be left on the collection plate or sent to the co op at Lowersmoor. Enid Munn passed away on Friday the nineteenth of january. Funeral service will take place on Thursday the fifteenth of february at Worcester Crematorium at eleven thirty. Family flowers only all inquiries to AV Band. Angela Lane passed away peacefully on the 22nd of January. Her funeral will take place at 10.45 on Wednesday the 14th of February at Worcester Crematorium. Family flowers only, but donations, if so desired, will be received for Cancer Research and Red Hill Care Home. All inquiries to co-op funeral care. And Alan Kite passed away peacefully on the 28th of January, formerly of Malvern, Uh, funeral service at the Vale Crematorium Evesham on Friday the 16th of February at 9.30 donations if desired to Macmillan and now um, we would like to send our best wishes to the family and friends of the recently departed at this difficult time